I was always undersized in, in sports. So I was never supposed to play in high school. It was a powerhouse high school. As I yeah. mentioned, we won a state championship for the first time ever in our history, my senior year. And I was one of the captains. And so I learned how you can just outwork people regardless of what they say about the statistics. Yeah. And so then I went to college, same thing. Everybody was like, man, just go D3, man. Why are you going to go play D2? I started out fourth or fifth on the depth chart, outworked everybody again, found myself a starter again. And I'm like, man, in business, I learned the same thing applies. If you just freaking outwork people, good things happen. At this yeah. point, I started to realize if you just outwork everybody, everybody, you can control that. Good things are going to happen. You definitely got to do a Shazier show. Yeah. Something like that. I definitely you know? thought, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to put on it, though. Like, it, don't, it don't matter. Just get on, just have one. You know what yeah. I mean? And 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 if anything, I, I, start, I thought of this idea, and I feel like Simon and I should both do it, more so Simon. And you got the podcast room right next door you could use. You don't yeah. have to spend no extra money on yeah, that. It's, it's so that expensive right to set these up. But everybody wants a podcast. People, people see Simon's podcast, they don't realize the work that needs to go into it. But preceding that, they don't realize what they need to have built up. If we don't have a good month, I have to pull back on doing podcasts just to build up to get us back to where we need to be. So it's like everybody time sees time. Yeah, like time-wise in regard to like my time has to be invested properly, but also in consideration of like the podcast of like I still believe everybody should try to start one and at any level of their business because I get recruits. I've gotten two or three recruits within the first eight months of doing the podcast. Like solid individuals are like, hey, listen, heard your podcast. I can't imagine how many people have hit you up and be like, heard your podcast. I'd love to do what you do. You know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, take it. And it's like one Simon Arias, you know, or, or, or one giant individual that, that comes in and does 5 million AOP over three years, you just made a million dollars off of a podcast episode. We're live, so... My, my big dog, you know what I mean? Uh, respect, respect out to you. I know he went through some adversity, went through a breakup. So he, the, the girl he was with, they, they ended up breaking up. And long story short, and I don't know, I feel like he'd be comfortable with me, me sharing. Let me know if I need to put a call in to him. Yeah, yeah, so. Spend some time with I think, him to help him with that. I've been through that in the beginning phases of my career in the business. I tried to leverage you because I remember sitting in, in the old white Mercedes you had four or five years ago and you telling me because – my girlfriend, we, we had, it was already rocky. You know those relationships where it's rocky, so it's like it's, the breakup ain't as bad as, you know what I mean, in the midst of it. But she broke up with me when I started doing insurance because she was like, that's not a real job. You know what I mean? Like you just not, you're not doing nothing with your life. And uh, I was telling Simon about it, and he was like, looks over, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, you know, doing his head nod. <laughs> he's like, I, I, he was like, I remember when, when I first started, you know, I went through a, through a breakup, and then years later, she had called me and, and found out I was a millionaire. And that had just blown me away because I just wanted to come there. I wanted to make a hundred grand. You know, I had not made any money. I'm broke, broken physically, just hundred pounds. You know what I mean? Just like, just, there was no part of me or my life that was rich at all. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, no just part. hearing that. Yeah, no. Physically, zero mentally, part, nothing. Yeah, nothing was rich at all. You know what I mean? Maybe my ego. And even then, I was so humbled by life. I always tell people, it's like, you know, what should, people will come to me and be like, what should I do with this individual in the business? I was like, let the business beat them because it'll, be, it'll beat humility. <laughs> like business will beat somebody into humility or beat them out of the bit. Like yeah. a lot of yeah. times I don't even need to correct They'll people. Quit. It's like this business is going to beat the hell. Like there's nothing yep. I could do that, that business and not just the insurance industry. The way to take less ass whoopings is to humble <laughs> yourself. Yeah. So it's like they're going to come regardless. You know what I mean? We could do it in practice or you can get it in the game. And the game is going to hurt way more. When, when my girl broke up with me when I first started. She was cheating on me. Yep. And uh, 
I remember being affected by it. You know, now I look at myself and I'm like, I should smack you. But my my first my <laughs> first the first day it happened, I didn't go to work for that day. Tristan, yeah. can you believe that? No, I Me, cannot believe that at all. I stayed home pouting yeah, in my in that. my apartment. Yeah. For a whole for a whole day, bro. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know what that feel like. I, uh, like my whole life, I've never been broken up, or I've been the breaking upper. You've been the broken upper. Yeah. The, All right. You never had a bad argument or anything that threw you off. Yeah, I had, no, I have bad arguments and stuff like. Don't start. Off. Don't start now, because the main one could count if Michelle <laughs> gets yeah, fed nah, up nah, with your <laughs> shit. Yeah, nah, nah, yeah, that'd be not, it. Yeah, and nah, I'm nah, gonna we, rewind this one. Be sitting there with you, like brother, grab this popcorn. Let's rewind right there. Nah, to see what you were saying right now. Nah, that's not gonna happen. That's my wife. That's my wife. You're not getting divorced. Nah, but yeah, my whole life I've been the breaking upper. Uh, I haven't been the broken up. So I, I, I've been, I've, I've heard how it can affect Back people. Uh, yeah. Affect people. Oh, but, bro. But I haven't. I, haven't I think it's I had, one of the I biggest had, things. I had it coming. It was. Yeah. It was my turn. I mean, I, I had been the person to probably break other people's hearts. You know what I mean? Before, so I had. I had one coming my way. But I remember that after that one day, one day I sat there and had a self pep talk by myself and I'm like quit being a punk quit being a bitch go to work take your ass to work tomorrow and I went to work the next day on on fire like more fired up than I had ever been before with a chip on my shoulder like man we about to let them have it and my vision became I want to blow up so bad now just to stick it in her face and show her you know what I mean what what she lost and I'll never forget the phone call dog she called the office years later in Pittsburgh. And this is back when I used office phones and you had yes. to get connected from the, you know, the operator to get sent back. And I'd pick up the office phone and Nat D sent it back. Yeah. I remember. And I'm like, whoa. Like, man, I answered the phone. It was her. I'm like, whoa. Took me back for a minute. And I heard her voice and she's she's telling me, like, man, I just wanna, I messed up. I wanna move up there. You know, I wanna move to Pittsburgh. And I'm like, man, you a good girl. I wish you well. But the ship already sailed, you know, at this point. And yeah. I was just I was just starting I was just starting to talk to Nat. Yeah. At that at that time. And I knew it was like, man, I, I knew we had something going on. But I was waiting for that call, bro. I was waiting on that call. I had envisioned that call happening. I was hoping that call was happening, but I wasn't ready for that call to happen that day. And that has helped me to mentor other young cats that go through that because yeah. I, re- I remember what that feeling was was like for me. And I usually don't let things like that affect me. So I got a yeah. little bit of a soft spot for cats when they go through that. <coughs> they got 24 hours, though. 24-hour rule. You can't be sulking over over this for, for a week. Yeah. Two Think weeks. about the past. The past, the past don't bring you a better future. Yeah, that's true. Like, well, you can look back at your past, <laughs> look at what you've done, but if you look on your past too long, it can't help you make money or help you in the future. Yeah. There's too many people sulk on the past and, and worry about what they did in the past. Like it, it can you can change it. You can't change nothing about yeah. the past. You know, like people ask me all the time, like Ryan, like what was it like playing in NFL? And 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 Ryan, do you ever think about when you played in NFL? And it's like, yeah, I think about it sometimes. Or it was great. Like it's everything you imagine. But like, if I keep thinking about five years ago, like that's not gonna provide nothing for my family now. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, I I feel like a lot of people just need to move for like continue to move forward. Like continue yeah. to get better every day. And uh, like, all right, I, I, I lost this opportunity, but hey, fuck it, let me keep going, keep pushing. I love it. Be- before we go too much further, because this is a very special episode for me. So first and foremost, I want to introduce my my mentor, 
the CEO of Arius Agencies, Arius Company. I'm, I'm starting to embody it. People, people don't realize we're we're kind of, we're essentially partners. But I'm always gonna I'm always gonna say this is this is our CEO, and he don't even like being called boss or CEO or things like that. It's like he likes mentor and coach. And uh, but but for me, this is this is the CEO of you know, who helped me get out the gutter. You know what I mean? Like you help, when I think of a CEO, I think of a, like a guider, somebody that's, that's a, a director. You know what I mean? Just, that's just the chief. And, uh, you know, with, with that being said, you know, I, I can't think of being 18 years old to now almost being, I'll be 24 in September and I'll be five years in the insurance industry, uh, October, 2020, what's this? 22. So mm-hmm. October, 2017 is when I started. It's almost five years. I'll be five years in. And when we get the when I get the 1099 from this year, it'll be another million dollars, roughly. So, close to close to almost a million dollars a year I've made since graduating high school. You know, I'll be right around four million dollars, and I, I get chills thinking about that right now because I was texting my mom the other day. I was like, I can't believe the problems that we have right now. They're they're blessings. I was I was like, I'm so grateful. And she's like, Wow. I was like. I got so many big problems. I never would have imagined that, you know, I, I would have an office that cost me $22,000 a month. And that's, that's a big problem. Like you made half of that when we were growing up in high school for the year. You know what I mean? Like talking about thousand dollars a month, just getting by food stamps to where, where Simon has led me to like dog five years out of high school, almost $5 million gross in income. It's, it's insane. I'm not an, I'm not an NFL athlete. You know what I mean? That's what I feel like where you could relate to, all right, I've been out of high school. I just got a signing, but whatever it might be. And so, you know, Simon Arias, it's, it's, uh, it's been a crazy five years. It's been a fast five. It feels like just yesterday I was sitting in that. I can't believe Mercedes. it's been five years. Though. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I feel like I blinked. You know what I mean? And I, I, I all I remember was, you were, I think in the same conversation, I think you just said, just focus on winning and everything will take care of itself. And I think that's where all my energy's been is these last five years. And I think I'm so more excited for the next five years because now I feel like I have an idea of how to do this and uh, I feel like I'm just now getting started so I can't thank you enough for for getting on uh, the podcast and the next it, it's so awesome simultaneously to bring on two powerful individuals now we 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 just started uh, with like an affiliate deal with Shazier agencies having Ryan Shazier on growing up and watching you play I remember going to uh, and I don't know if you were in the game I remember going to a the Cowboys play the Steelers in Palomalu was uh in the game it was it was the cowboys at the steelers mm-hmm. and my pap took me to the game and we took the uh the boat over um did, I, I don't i don't know what year this this would have been 2012 maybe 2000 so to, yeah, 2012 i wasn't there yet but uh i played the cowboys came to the steelers probably like 2014 as well i know no 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 palomala was in the game that's yeah, how yeah, we yeah, lost so yeah, yeah yeah so yeah so that one that one uh, i wasn't in that one i wore a pac-man jones jersey when he played at the Cowboys, twenty one. Yeah, I got. I was like eleven. I was getting yelled at, like swore at. You know what I mean? That, like, <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh don't kid. play that. Yeah, yeah like, don't play that. <laughs> it was mad as hell. But but it's so incredible to get around these, like just to get around such powerful individuals and links back to to my mentor Simon. Like I, I I'm not the kid where you grow up and you're gonna be sitting on a podcast with Ryan Shazier. So and it's so humbling, dude. Just to I've met your family. I've taken notes from your dad. I've taken yeah. notes from you and. And it's so cool because, like, I always imagine, you know, somebody that's achieved the amount of success that you had. It's just like it's almost like I feel like you. It's not like a pride thing, but almost like you hit a level where it's like I'm too good to like talk to you in in a humble way, if that even makes sense. Like where you've just hit a level where it's like I never would imagine like talking to somebody, you know, that had such a successful career in the NFL to be around millionaires and and to 
to do something like this. It's very, it's very special. So Ryan Chazier, Simon Aries, we got him on the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, man. It's doing good. I'm Let's go. grateful to be here with both of y'all. So Simon's in the area. He's visiting. So this is a partnership out here in Chicago, and he'll come out here two, three times a year and pour into us. And, and people don't realize you have 30 offices. How many do you have? We're in the 20s. Give or take, 20s? We're in the 20s somewhere. Tw- 20 offices. I feel like sometimes it takes my whole soul. Like it, t- it does. It's not a sometimes. It takes my whole soul to run this one office. So for the fact that he'll come out here and visit all these offices, but I think he visits this one the most. You know what I mean? So out of, out of 20, we definitely get three on a, on a – we've only been out here almost two years. So we, we've gotten at least three, three to four appearances for the first two years. And uh, – it's definitely, but every time, every time it's a big jump. I'm like, oh, I, I know this is going to be a, be a good time because we're going to get a jump. So out here pouring into us out here. We're taking a limo today. Sharing some time. We're doing a limo later. We're going to go into the city. We'll show you guys Big's Mansion. Uh, hopefully, hopefully have a, we'll have a great time tonight. So we'll get some Italian. You guys like pasta? Yeah, I like Italian. I feel, I'm looking at you. I'm like, I know my. I like Italian. <laughs> I was like, he got to like yeah. Italian. You know what I mean? So I know you like Italian. I like we Italian. Wanted to, we wanted I to like, mix it up. I like Italian. We'll work it off in the morning, bright and early. Oh, how do you guys? When's the last time? Now, cold tubs. I always hear different. Have you've had to done a bunch of cold? Ron tubs. ain't down with the cold tubs. Yeah, I, I, so I used to do a lot when I was younger. And yeah, when I played. But I, I have a bad history of cold tubs. Whenever I used to do cold tubs, I would pull a muscle. I would sprain something. I would get hurt. Yeah, I have a bad history with them, so I don't. Okay. I don't. I don't really rock with them. I'm, I'm more of a hot tub type of guy. They like, got a hot. You, I, the thing is, I can deal with them. I, I have no problem with them. I was gonna say you, you gotta have a. It's different because it's ice. Y'all got ice in it. Like Marcus yeah. got that new cold tub. It looks like there's ice in it. Yeah. We got them in the new crib, hot tub, cold tub. You got the. I want to. Are you gonna Ryan get the same one as Marcus? Get in there with me one time. Huh? Marcus Marcus looks like his has ice in it. It's got to be cold plunge. Yeah, it's, yeah, so cold, it's got to be like 15, 20 degrees colder than lifetime. So it, it looks nuts. It looks insane. So I love it. Yeah. I, I ne- I've never been a fan. Like, you know, it's going to be a while since, like, it's probably going to be over seven years. Because I didn't, I got hurt five years ago, and I wasn't even getting them when I was playing. But I could deal with them. I wasn't a big fan. Yeah. But, yeah. I, were you doing any yoga when you were playing? Yeah, I was doing a little bit. Little yeah, I, do, I do it in the off season. Yeah. With an instructor or just mess around and just stretch out yourself and call it yoga? So I would just literally just go to like a yoga class like yes. that, you know, they have throughout the day. And I would just go in like the earliest class that they had and yeah. then just go to the facility after. Was there any guys in the in, in the league that had like a night shift type of routine? Like, oh, I'll do my workouts and stuff at night. Or is that like? Uh, so AB is one of the guys, Antonio Brown. He is one of the guys. He's kind of like Floyd when it comes to working out. It's just like when he – like. He work. He's gonna work out regardless. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's like whenever he feels like it. Like sometimes Floyd Mayweather would just work out at two a.m. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, uh, Av's kind of the same way. Like he always he has a trainer. He'll just hit his trainer up and like I want to go work out. And so he was one of those type of guys. You know he work. He's one of the hardest workers. But like you can mess around and work out at ten p.m. one a.m. But that's like these are rare. You've named two very rare athletes that are like genetically like gifted yeah. you know what I mean like th- these guys are so like I know for like our business and really not even for our business most people that I that I like meet like biz, unless they're like artists or creative I feel like getting up early is the best best route yeah you know 100% I mean? like, majority the majority of the athletes I, I spend a lot of time with and most people I spend a lot of time with they like to get in early yes. because they feel like they like to get their like basically 
you feel more accomplished when you get, like work out in the morning. Yeah. You know. Yeah, build that confidence initially. Yeah, I feel like you know. It's almost like you achieve something in the beginning of the day. So once you start your day off, it's kind of like you already are successful to begin the day off. It's yeah. gonna, I don't know. It might, it might not make sense. Building momentum. Yeah. yeah. Getting that train moving. Yeah. So. so as we paint the picture for the audience, for the people listening, Simon, where were you born? Uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown, St. Ohio. St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Shout out Northside. And then from there, what was like getting into elementary school, middle school? Like what, what was those first few years? You probably won't remember much, but from what your mom and everything has told you, what, what was like the beginning of life like for you? Was that the hardest points for you guys? Man, I, you know, I think uh, my great-grandmother, um, we lived with my great-grandmother. So my mom had me at 19, and we lived with my great-grandmother, who yep. was uh, 100% Italian. And um, the house we ended up selling for $11,000. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was in uh, on the east side of Youngstown in a, in a rough part of town. You know, at yeah. the time that I came up, um, early 90s would have put me, you know, 10 years old into, you know, starting to become into a teenager. You could look up, you know, during that period of time, we ended up winning an award in Youngstown, and it was the uh, number one city for the uh, murders uh, in the whole United States per capita. Yeah. Which means for the amount of people that live in yeah. your city, you know, how many people... Yeah. Out of them, the bodies living there got got murdered. Yeah. And I think we had, you know, in a small town, we had 70, you know, murders yeah. that year over a s- series of, you know, a couple years. Car got stolen out of the driveway. Um, paper bag in the, in, the, in the back window, you know, the, yep. of the car. Hand-me-downs, cars that w- it was $1,000, $2,000. We had a Chevette. Uh, with the with the uh, all blue with the red Chevette on the on the windshield and the red club, you know, to match because we got smart. Cause people was still in the whip, so we started putting the club on the steering wheel. When did you start playing sports? I started playing sports at like six. Um, they had me playing football, so I had man, I had like this perfect tutorial to be able to relate to all different people in the world. When I look back on it, so I grew up in the hood around mostly black people. Uh, some Hispanic people. My dad was 100% Venezuelan, straight from Caracas, Venezuela, you know, straight from Venezuela. Uh, first generation, you know, here in America, barely spoke English. I didn't really meet him as an adult till I was 28 years old in Miami yeah. at the Fountain Blue at, at a company convention. I've been to Venezuela uh, once when I was 11 years old. I went with my mom. I remember that process. But my grandmother cut hair. My grandfather was in the steel mills, and then he ended up working at the hospital. It ended up being a team effort for me. I was an only child, so good thing is everybody got to kind of focus on me to get me out of that situation. So I got my mom working two, three jobs. I got my grandmother cutting hair, my grandfather working at the steel mill, and then my great-grandmother, I'm spending most of the time at home, you know, with her. And so I was raised in, in that house till we were... Uh, 13. We moved a couple times, other little small stints. We stayed in different apartments and stuff, but we pretty much, that was home base until I went into high school. Uh, We bought a house for $32,000 going into my freshman year of high school. But when I say I had this mix of all these different people, so I went to public school and then they started sending me to a private school, a Catholic school in the city 
to give me a little bit better of of an uh, of a education. And so I started to have the last couple years going into high school, I had the experience of like, all right, you got to wear a uniform, you got to tuck your shirt in, and there's a little bit more diversity, you know, where you're at and a little bit higher expectations, you know, where you're at. And you got to learn how to function around these people because you came from functioning over here and that ain't going to cut it, you know, over here. And so I had a little bit of a rough transition, you know, there, but that started to teach me how to deal with, you know, different people from different walks of life. So eighth grade, I started getting in a bunch of trouble. We're stealing cars, we're driving, drinking, smoking, you know, having sleepovers, you know, all that kind of stuff in eighth grade. And uh, my mom's like, man, you either are going to have to, I'm going to move you way out of the city somewhere that you hate, or you can stay in the city, but you got to go to Ursland. And so Ursland was the Catholic school uh, in Youngstown, right on the north side of Youngstown by Youngstown State. So it's like right in the mix of everything, you know, it's like you might see a crackhead on the corner, dead body, you know, on the, on the corner, but then you got this school that's decent, you know, right there, right, at, right in the mix of it. And so they, they had powerhouse athletics there. Like this is where all the athletes went, where people blame you on recruiting, you know, and stuff like that. We had out of our starting offense and defense, you know, we ended up putting, I think, 23 people out D1, you know, from my uh, from my high school, sophomore through senior. And if you look at our, you know, offensive defense at any time, we, we had more uh, people of color on the field than not, and is, which is rare when you think, man, you know, Catholic school, you're probably not going to have that type of diversity. I don't know where you're going to find a more diverse situation like that. It's just weird. It's hard to explain, you know, what that experience was like. And so I went to that school but I'm still hanging with my old friends. I'm still kicking it with Perm. I'm yeah. still kicking it with, you know, with my people over there. I'm still, so my house gets shot up when I was 16, um, in and out of juvenile, you know, at high school. The only thing that's keeping me afloat is my love for the game of football yeah. and my coach. My coach ended up being like the main person for the night shift at, at the juvenile justice center, coach Roland Smith. And one day he came in and out, he had to get me out of the cell and spend time with me. I was locked up with my own, with my own coach who was like a severe disciplinarian. So I was like scared to death of the cat. He was like 6'4", 275, no body fat, like bald head, just looked like he'd rip your body parts off. And, I, and, and he showed me so much love, you know, at that time. He started to just kind of mentor me on the side and, and develop me a little bit on the side from, from a man's perspective as a coach. And so I think that helped me get through that transitional period. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to play at Mercyhurst. Uh, full scholarship to go play football out there, Division II school in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, which got me out of Youngstown, which is what I needed. I needed to get the hell out of there. So I got out of the city, ended up going to Mercyhurst, um, got redshirted my first year, started four years at uh, Strong Safety, and then somebody called my resume, and uh, that somebody was Marcus Smith. I drove to Cleveland for an interview, took the job, and uh, the rest was history. I've been at, been at American Income ever since. And then before we jump over to your bringing, uh, upbringing, Shazer, what was the hardest adversity up until graduating college that you had to go through? Like, what was the hardest thing you had to overcome in your childhood, in a sense? Me? Yeah. I think the hardest thing that I had to overcome in my childhood, and you understand this is me, I'm going to say I had... Uh, traumatic experiences where my neighbor showed up at our door 
uh, in the middle of the night, bleeding to death. Uh, got stabbed by her boyfriend. Blood all over my wall. Blood all over the door. We're calling nine one one. You know, I'm ten. You know, those like traumatic experiences. You know, some of those things I can remember. Losing friends, you know, that got murdered that I was, you know, close with. But all of those things, I don't think none of those can compare to um, my situation with with my mom, who was a great person and worked her ass off. You had two, three jobs and trying to figure out how to deal with me. You know, over that time, you know, she was married once, uh, got married when I was 16 dated a couple other guys, you know, before that. And so I think for me as a young, as a young person, being the man of my house at such a young age, having my mom date other guys, you know, it wasn't a lot, but I remember, you know, three guys, you know, in my life and none of them was my dad and none of them ended up really making it long-term with us. I remember that being a little bit of an adversity, you know, for me that brought me to, have certain feelings of protective over my mother, protective over others, certain experiences that would happen in those relationships that would cause me to be a little bit more angry as a child, you know, when you see arguments happen or something like that, and it's not your own blood, you know, and you feel like you're young and you can't do nothing about it, but you want to do something about it, and you start to do something about it, but you're still young. You know, those moments, I think, were some of the moments that would bring me a little bit of, of some of the most adversity that I never would bring up really or talk to anybody about because I don't want it. I don't want my mom to feel bad about it. I don't want people to know, you know, really what was going on. But I had like a mean streak, you know, in me, like a super mean streak. And then I was super protective over my mom's. You know, my mom was, was, was pretty, you know, growing up. And I would be like over the top, like super, like super protective, like don't even want you to even look at my mother. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 and it all spurred from, as a kid, seeing her in a relationship with a couple guys and, you know, them having an argument or two and me knowing that it wasn't my real dad, you know, that whole dynamic, you know, trying to find myself as a man without a real man leading me yeah. in the right direction, I think was probably my biggest adversity. And and people stepped in the gap, you know, to help me, grandparents and, and uh, coaches, you know, stuff like that. But I think at, at the end of the day, it made me a better father uh, today right now because there's no way that I would um, put myself in jeopardy to not wake up in my home with my kids, you know, every day, with my wife there every day. And there's no way I would allow myself to be like a, a non-existent dad to my kids no matter what circumstance because I know how it impacted, yeah. you know, me. And, and I want to I talk on that too. I'm curious on how to raise kids. I think about that for hundred years from now. Um, <laughs> I now, like this. <laughs> now for you, Shazier, born in Florida? Yes, sir. So yes, what sir. part of Florida were you born in? Uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Florida? Yeah. Now, you had a little bit of a different upbringing. Yeah, so with my upbringing, uh, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, and I started playing football when I was about five years old. So the one thing that's a, a little bit different from me than a lot of other people is that I kind of, um, like Simon's story is a little bit different than mine. Uh, I was blessed to have both of my parents growing up, you know, there all the time. Uh, but at the age of five, I had something called alopecia. So I was literally, 
I've been bald since I was five years old. Yeah. So uh, being bald at five, uh, a lot of people have made me like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. But it's not that big of a deal when you're like 20, 28. Yeah, no, 30. that's true. But when you're five, you, everybody's judging you. Everybody's thinking something wrong with you. Everybody thinks you have cancer or a disease yeah. or something like that. So my whole life, I kind of went through that adversity of always being the kid. I was a little bit different than everybody else. Yeah. So uh, I, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, I've been playing football since I was about five years old. I was one area, like a coping me- mechanism for me. Like if I got angry, if I got mad and things like that, just hit somebody. I can just go play football. Yeah. You know, I can like store my energy to play football. Um, we, we ended up moving to Texas when I was in middle school for about three years so my dad can go get his doctorate, I mean, his master's degree uh, to be a pastor. Yep. So my dad went to the University of Baylor, and then we ended up coming back to Florida. Uh, as I was going, as I came back to Florida, I it was right in the, around middle school, getting ready for high school. Uh, a doctor told me that I wasn't gonna be able to play football because I had scoliosis. So if people don't know what scoliosis is, scoliosis is like a curvature in your back. Yeah. And um, most people back is like a straight line. Mine was kind of like it's not as bad as an S, but it was almost like a, a S. My, yes. The way my back was, my my vertebrae was my, was uh, aligned. So I had a kind of diversity of, you know, me being bald and now me saying I can't play football, I would have to have surgery because of my back. Yeah. And then as I was continuing to, uh, then we just talked to another doctor, got some more st- uh, tests done, I ended up getting some more, a uh, second opinion. So I was able to start, I was able to play football again. But, uh you know, it just my my whole story was kind of just being based around football. You yeah. Because like my dad, he coached football, but he was also a pastor, so he helped like train me and coach me uh, while I was actually, you know, playing for uh, other coaches. So like he wasn't like my coach for my team; he just coached me. Yeah. Uh, so it really like helped a, me. Out. It really helped me out a lot. Like so. a personal coach, like yeah, a special yeah. position coach. Yeah, because my dad understood football, so like we'll just talk about football. And he'll help like develop my. Did he play stuff. at a high level? No, he just played college. Uh, my dad, w- when he was younger, they didn't really have the funds. So instead of going to college, my dad went to the military. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but he still loved the game of football so much that he wanted to still coach and help out. Yeah. So he would still help me out and really just teach me the ins and outs of, you know, the the football, the fo- like linebacker position and the defense to, to understand the scheme and why people do what. So it helped me kind of understand football. Then once I got to uh, high school and I was approved to start playing football again, man, I just started uh, – I went to this one school called Blanchili at first. It was uh, – so we stayed – so my mom – I don't like to say this, but we we stayed in, like, the hood. But it was like, you know, like when they're kind of like gentrifying the area. Yeah. It's like one area is real nice and one area is still hood. So, like, we had just got a house that was recently built. Um, it, was a, it was a nice house. I don't know how much my parents bought it for. But, like, literally the house was on the corner. It was a real nice house. But you can look outside the house and see that, like, my neighbor's house is hood. So my mom, I'd be like, I, I, <laughs> like, we stayed in the hood, and my mom used to say, like, we didn't stay in the hood. And it was like, Mom, like, when I go to the park or, like, if I look at my te- neighbor's house, it's like, like, 
I don't know what I don't know what that I don't know what you call that, but I know that, that's hood to me. That's that's hood to everybody else in this yeah. community, you know. So I went, so it was a school there called Blanchili. Uh, Patrick Peterson, he plays it for the. He's a long. He he played cornerback a long time. He might go to Hall of Fame. He played there as well. And my parents was like, we don't want you to go there. We don't want you to go there. We don't want you to go there. I ended up going there. My first year, I had a three point eight GPA, but I got in like four fights because. I'm bald in, in the high school. Like, it's not a lot of bald high schoolers. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, like, I had got in, I kept getting in fights, and I, I kept getting in trouble. My parents were like, yeah, I, we don't want to deal with this. So I transferred to another school. It's called Plantation High School. It was a little bit more diverse. And then my, uh, my, my you know, basically my godfather, he was the head coach of the team. And then uh, ever since then, I started just really honing in on my craft and just becoming, like, really good at football. And then the at the year after I left, I transferred and then went to Plantation. I started getting offers from any school you can name, like Florida State, Alabama, Ohio State. Why'd you pick Ohio State over Alabama? So uh, when I was getting recruited, um, I was committed to Florida at the time. You know, so I was committed to Florida for like two and a half years. And when I talked to Nick Saban on the phone, Nick Saban was like, hey – you know, so since your sophomore year, yeah, you was you was already committed to Florida. Uh, so it was like the it was like the end of my sophomore year. So basically, like going into my junior year, I I, I went to Florida and I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go here. So then, basically, junior and senior year, the whole year I was pretty much committed to Florida, um, and I was getting I was getting recruited, and uh, the reason I didn't go to Alabama is. This is a stupid reason, and if I go back and look at it now, it makes sense. But Nick Saban was like, hey, Ryan, you can come here and compete for a starting job, right? So when he said that, I was like, there was a, there was a freshman that went there the year, like, it was a guy that was already there at the time named C.J. Mosley. Both of us got drafted the same year. He got drafted, but he was a freshman at the time, and he, he just started starting. Like, he just started starting. And then there was a guy named Dante Hightower who played in the NFL for a very long time. He was starting there at the same time. So I'm like, there's only two, like, at my position, there's only two spots that can start. I'm like, you have a freshman starting and you have a sophomore starting. So I was like, how can I come in there and comp- compete for a starting spot when I know these two guys start? You know, but it wasn't, but the thing is, understanding what he was saying, it was saying, like, basically, like, if you're good enough, you will play. Yeah, results. Yeah, but as a kid, I wasn't, like, scared or anything, but I was, like, I felt like he was, like, like, when it comes to college recruiting, they tell you what you, what they want you to hear. Yeah. Like, they, like they, they'll they tell you, oh, you, you'll be number one, you'll be starting, you could be the best player we ever had. You'll get there, you're fourth on the jump chart, you were in number 56. Like, <laughs> like that's, I, that's, that's, hey, that's, how, that's how recruiting is. Bro. That's how it really is, like, when it comes to, like, college football. So um, when he said that, I was just like, man, you just feeling me fluff. Like you feel that like you basically saying bullshit. You know what yeah. I mean? But the thing is, I think he was more more like, hey, you know, you if you're good enough, you're gonna you gonna have an opportunity to be play a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he didn't say it like he that. He wouldn't promise. But he wasn't did he, you? Didn't, he didn't promise. But I would but the thing is, it's just the way his delivery, the way he said it, I was just like, yeah. I don't I don't trust it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So then I end up uh going uh going to the university. Because the thing is I didn't play linebacker in college. I mean, high school. I played defense in. So he was saying, hey, Ryan, you could possibly start at a, one of the best universities in the country 
at a position that you never played. So I was just like, I feel like that's just too much. Like I like not too much, but I just felt like I wasn't. It didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So then while I was talking to all these other coaches, and it was like, hey, it's right. You could possibly be playing as a freshman, but you might not start. But as you come in early, you're gonna learn, and then the better you get, you could play. So uh, when when the coaches started telling me that, I was like, all right, cool, that makes sense because like I didn't play this position before. I still have to learn this position, and you're telling me that I must start over guys that are already starting. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it was just so it wasn't that I was scared. It was just like, hey, I'm just I, I want to basically understand a little bit better. So then. When I, w- I committed to Florida, Coach Meyer resigned, and then I had like two weeks to decide what school I was going to go to. I visited Ohio State, and I visited LSU. When I visited both of the schools, my visit to LSU was a much better visit. I had a good time. We went, on, we, like, we went out to club. You know, it was like a lot of beautiful women, like a lot of kids. So how old were you, though? 18. So you can get in a club at 18? Bro, when you're getting recruited, they can help you with whatever you need. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got you in the club. Yeah, they got you in the club. And if you think about it, Baton Rouge is a college, like it's a, it's, it's like a college town. It's not uh, it's not Chicago. You know what yes. I'm saying? It's like it's a. I grew up in Arkansas, Louisiana, right there. I, I remember them playing. The, they play for the Gold Boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and LSU. so Baton, Baton Rouge is it's it's not New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? It's not a big city, but like if you're if like if they're like, hey, hey we're thinking about it. this kid might might come to LSU. Uh, can you let him in? They'll be like, oh yeah, come here. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just like bars yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, so I had a good time. There's a lot of beautiful women. All the guys were there. We were just joking around. But then I went to Ohio State. It was negative four degrees when I visited because it was in December. It was negative four degrees. The, the Ohio State was on quarters, not semesters. So quarters, they, they quarters back then they got out of school earlier. So it was no kids on campus and. Uh, and the team was leaving for the bowl game, so I really didn't spend time with the team when I visit. Okay. So when I when I visit there though, they 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 put you with guys uh, like they help you with your recruiting visit to make you want to stay there. And the guys that I spent my time with, I really felt like their upbringing was very close to mine. Like yeah. they like the way they were brought up. They like weren't super hood. They didn't. They weren't like like. Obviously, some of them made it from nothing. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. it's just like, like I, it's just it's different type of people. You and you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, like it could be somebody from the middle class or lower middle class from Chicago. They have, act different than somebody from O Block, or they act different from somebody in you know who who's rich in yeah. in, in, uh, in in Chicago. Like it's just different different people. And I feel like the people that I was hanging out with were like lower middle cast. Some of some might have came from nothing. They probably didn't have the funds. But I just felt like the people that I was around, I felt more family like to me compared to all the other schools that I was at. And it just made me feel comfortable. And Coach Trestle at that time was the coach. And he just it's just like to this day, he's somebody that still remembers my parents' names. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like he coached me for four months. And he still remember my parents' names. Well, I know it's coaches that I've, that coached me for more than four months don't know my parents' name. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like that's why I went there. Yep, that's the Maxwell. People yeah. don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. So that's that's dope. Now, before I jump back over to you, Simon, what was the hardest adversity you had to overcome in your childhood up until graduating college? I think the hardest adversity for me is like we live in a society of want to be liked. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially as a kid, I don't know a kid that doesn't want to be liked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So me being different my whole life 
was was a little bit hard for me to adjust to, you know. So, um, because like I was bald, you know, and and it, it just like obviously I was cool with it because I know everybody had adversity. My parents always told me like everybody goes through their own adversity, right? And yours is just being seen, while everybody else's is uh, more hidden. Like if somebody has cancer, like. If I'm a kid walking down the street, I don't know if this person has cancer or that person has cancer or this person is, is having a bad day or that person's having a bad day. But everybody, when they're walking down the street, can see, hey, this six-year-old is bald. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's something wrong with that six-year-old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like just growing up with that, it kind of made me just kind of uh, understand that a lot of people have adversity, but it also just kind of made me almost – very friendly because I just I didn't take shit from nobody but I just was like hey man like it just made me just like hey be really open like really yeah. open to like getting to know people because I had to I had to always open up to let people know like there's nothing wrong with me I'm good like I'm good like yeah. like it sucks because like most people are like man this man some bullshit like this is going on this is going on like my whole life, I had to be like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, it's like, so yeah. it's like, it's it's almost like reverse. You know, yeah. It's kind of weird, but it's just that's that's kind of how my life was growing up. Okay. Yeah. I feel it. So, you've graduated college at this point, Simon, and Marcus calls your resume. What does your what's your first thirty days in the insurance industry look like? Mayhem. Um, you know, I'm an all in type of person. You know, so it's you know we'll see people in our business now and you know they'll kind of stick their toe in or they'll wait six months to move or you know whatever it's like i i just was like man if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna go all in so i move right next to the office which i had no family there no friends there no nothing i moved right around the corner from the office signed a one-year lease and so i had to make it it was like not even an option for me in my mind i didn't even i wasn't even scared Did you make any sales up to this point Nah, I didn't make any sales before I moved there. So I just moved there. I just That's fast. Signed my signed my uh apartment, you know, lease. Yep. And signed a full twelve month lease and before I even started training class. You no know, roommates in, or in anything. The place. No roommates yet, no nothing. Yep. And uh so my first thirty days I worked seven days a week. I didn't have anything else to do. I moved right next to the office. I went to work as early as I could get to work and yeah. stayed as late, late as I could late, or as late as I could work. And uh, I had a bunch of success. You know, my first month, I started December of 2005. And based on the way I carried myself and them knowing that I was from Youngstown, the first place they put me, my first lead pack was in East Cleveland. And so East Cleveland is, you know, the rougher part of Cleveland. Uh, where Bone Thugs and Harmony, you know, is is from anybody that remembers Bone. Love Bone Thugs and uh, MGK and you know, all yeah. like the the East Cleveland. And um, I wrote fourteen thousand um, on on a month where there's Christmas in it in my first yeah. month back seventeen years ago on foot, you know, in, yes. in a car driving out to my appointments and stuff. What car were you driving? I was driving um, a pearl white Cadillac. Uh, with gold D's and V's on it and some TV's and the headrests from some extra money I had saved up from my old sales job that I used to have. <laughs> Let's go. Now, you, did you have heat? I, I took, uh, I did take a gun in the home with me. I meant if you had like heat in the car. Oh, heat in the car. I thought you meant was I packing heat. I took a gun in the, in the home with me. 
<laughs> and they, they found out about it. Yeah. So they called me in the office and they're like, Simon, is it true? We're hearing that you're taking the gun, you know, with you into the homes and stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, uh, you know, y'all got me in East Cleveland, you know, over here and stuff. <laughs> and so I'm from Youngstown. So I'm, I'm bringing it. So if y'all don't want me to carry the gun, you got to change my area, you know, somewhere. Yeah. But I ain't going out there without, you know, having some heat. Yes. And uh, so they moved my area. They moved me in January. And I, I, I liked my area, actually, but I just was going to have to be on the same page with them with what they wanted me to do. And so they changed my area in, uh, in January and the, and the momentum, you know, continued. I, I did good, but I had to work real hard for every sale. Like I wasn't a high crazy closer, you know, yeah. to begin with. I wasn't writing big deals or nothing like that. I just was outworking everybody. I was giving a bunch of presentations and yeah. outworking, you know, people the whole time. And I didn't really break out until March. Yeah. Uh, for March Madness. That was like my breakout month when I started. What separated? Bigger, bigger months. Competition. Competition. Yep. Marcus telling me that I had to win. Yep. Who'd you, who was the? The top dog at the time was Zach. Yeah. Um, Zach was one of the top dogs. I think he took off half the month. He was, he was always crushing it. So I got lucky, you know, yeah. that month as a, as a person four months in the game. And, uh, but there was a bunch of top dogs, you know, at that time. And I ended up winning uh, March Madness, my fourth month in the business, and there was no other brackets. It was just one month, one is, one bracket. Is Zach still here? Zach is he retired uh, a couple of months ago. Oh, right. yeah, from the business. Now, your first year, what'd you make? One eighty-seven. So, what'd you what'd you end up? How how does this how does this how does this work? How does somebody listening in simplify it down to like? Like how how to do insurance for dummies one eighty seven in the first twelve months. What does that look like? Yeah, so really I could just break it down into like ninety day segments. Okay. So my first ninety days, I obsessed over sales. Okay. You know, just straight everything that I could do to master sales, sitting in on other people's workshops, role playing by myself, watching videos, giving presentations, just obsessed with finding the answer to sales. Anytime yeah. that I wouldn't make a sale, I would get so frustrated that it was like, I had to find the answer now. Like I wouldn't let it go until two days, me not finding an answer as to why this beat me, you know, yeah. just like in jujitsu, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I get submitted or I don't finish, it's like, I'm not waiting until next week. Like I'm hitting somebody up right now. Like, tell me what, what, what did I miss there? You know what I mean? And it's usually yeah. inches, you know yes. what I mean? Something small. And people don't make those adjustments because they're not asking on those inches. They're relying on, I just learned next practice or I learned and months go by and they never got it mastered. You know what I'm saying? And so the first 90 days, I asked a lot of questions. I was never cool with not making a sale and just letting it go. I would always want to know why. Yeah. You know, what could I have done better? And so at the end of like a three, four month period, I, I felt like I had sales like pretty good wrapped up, you know, to where I was closing over 50 percent of the people. You know, one of the top salespeople in the office, I feel like I had sales down. I didn't love the sales aspect uh, of the game. I, I knew that I was going to fall in love with leadership. So then I got promoted in the next 90 days, uh, became about training. So I put everything I had into training people and I was able to make like three people super successful in that next 90 day period to where my group of four of us was out writing whole MGA deals, you know, with 15, 20 people. You know, our group of four would go out there and drop 40 grand in a week, 50 grand in a week 
25,000 every single week, you know, consistently out of a small group, you know, of, of people. So I think at that point I started to catch Marcus and them's attention to like, whoa, like something this little cat's doing, th these people are coming out writing a shit ton of, shit ton of business. And all I was doing was role playing with the people a lot. And I wouldn't let them pass, you know, if you split the presentation up into say six parts, I wouldn't let them pass part one and move on to part two until I knew part one was mastered. So yeah. we may spend a whole day on part one. And then next day you may not make it past part two. And I would make them start from part one to get it all the way through part two. And by making it harder on them through the process, I felt like my people were so much more prepared because the more that you sweat and practice, the less that you bleed in the game. And so I felt like I was having people come out and have more, more success out of the gates because of my training style that I was training people, you know, with. Yep. So the next nine, that next 90 days was just developing a couple beasts, you know, not a lot of people, but a couple animals that now they're making money, they're loyal, they're grateful, and we're all on the same page. And so then, then I got my MGA contract seven months in the game was like the bigger, larger leadership contract. At that point, they wasn't even giving these out. Like you couldn't even get these things without naming your firstborn child, you know, after the person that gave you the promotion. I mean, it was like, they ain't even giving them out. Don't even happen. So I got that promotion and then I started to recruit real heavy. You know, at that point, I just locked myself in the office, started to call resumes, uh, got a couple of my college teammates in the door that I played college ball with and added, you know, you put a couple people from resumes, couple college teammates, couple of the people I already had, all of a sudden, you know, I got a team of 12, 15 people, and those 12, 15 people would go out there and have $50,000 weeks, $60,000 weeks. And so I think in my first six months of that first year, so I started December of 2005, so I'm talking 2006, I made 187. That year, I would say the first six months, I probably made 60 grand, and then the last six months, I made 120, 130 grand was all in leadership. Uh, by the time I was done with my ninth month uh, in the business, I was already pretty much not writing a ton of business myself. I didn't have to sell a lot. I had a big team. I had people writing a bunch of business. And the rest, you know, from there was just recruiting and, and uh, developing people. I got to be an RGA within 12 months. Uh, I had an office in Toledo that they allowed me to uh, help with that was struggling a little bit. And I would drive back and forth to that office. Uh, and then we, that rolled right into the second year. Columbus became an opportunity, and uh, I was a little bit over 12 months in the game, and I moved to Columbus uh, with three people and, and started that office from scratch. And within six months, we had that place doing $100,000 weeks. Not every week, but we were hitting 100000 in a week almost every month, once or twice so a month. what did you do your first year in total sales? How much ALP? Yep. I think we did about $2 million. $2 million? And then your second year, what'd you guys do? Total, total ALP, total sales. Almost 4 million. So, and that was, that was 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Taking inflation, you could just double those numbers off top. But today I know like if you did, you ripped 2 million, you, you're going to make closer to probably 300, 400 yeah. on low end. The game, I, the game got so much easier, yeah, man. The game easier and they pay you more. They pay you way more. Cause I made, the game got, yes. the game got so much easier and I have no hate at all yes. about it. I'm just, I'm happy that's what it's all about because yep. people that were here 20 years before me, 
you know, could probably look at the same thing in the hand that I was dealt. Yes. And, and be like, oh, man, this cat had it easy compares yes. to what we had to do, you know. Yep. And then we're going to be looking at people. You're going to be looking at people in 10 years and be like, yes. man, they got it easy compares to what we had to do. Yes. And I think that's how you know a system is, is working the right way. That's what I want. What was your first year like opening your own office? In Columbus? No, when you, when you became an owner. Yes. When, I, when I came to Pittsburgh, man, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was two. Th I was 24 years old. My mom quit her job, and man, my mom had only just started to make good money like the last three years. You know, I was my last couple years of college. My mom got promoted. She worked her butt off and was a district manager. She started making seventy thousand dollars a year in uh, uh, women's clothing. Uh, she was a district manager for a women's clothing store, Charlotte Roos, and um, she quit her job and to come help me in Pittsburgh. So I got all this pressure of I'm 24, I'm starting this office. My mom quit her freaking job that took forever to get to just to back me. She was going to help with PR, yep. do PR. And uh, I had three people and my mom's in, a, in an office. I uh, didn't um, wait. I was supposed to wait till Monday. They were going to show me offices on Monday. And Friday I was calling around. Nobody would show me an office on Friday. So I got up early on Saturday and drove to Pittsburgh and didn't wait until Monday. And I got somebody to let me into an office and they let me in the office. And I took the first one that I really liked and signed a five-year lease on the spot. Didn't know what I was doing and uh, signed a five-year lease on the place. It ended up being right next to uh, Italian restaurant, Pizza Roma, where Nat D would end up. Is it still right there? Hand. Yeah, it's still there. Same office, same yeah, restaurant. I feel like you got to get some footage there. Oh, yeah, I love it. I, I get such a great feeling being in both of those places because that's where the real yeah. come up happened. And it just was, a, it was, it was seven days a week, dog. You know, seven days a week, yeah. 24 hours a day. I, I had no fear of failure, even though in, in, in March of 2008 is when the economic crisis happened. Yes. So that's when depression recession, yeah. you know, all of that stuff happened. My first year in business in, yeah. in the country was in economic shambles. And we crushed it, man. We killed it. We murdered it. Um, I got blessed with finding some people in Pittsburgh that had blue collar roots. So they had real good work ethics, you know, such as Maddie D and, and uh, Tommy Vina and Justin would end up coming, you know, within that year, yeah. Justin Adams. And so I just got lucky, man, with a, with a real loyal crew of, of people around me that were on the same mission. And we just worked, man. We just worked constantly. I had no fear of not having success because I knew what had happened. At that point, I was always undersized in, in sports. So I was never supposed to play in high school. It was a powerhouse high school. As I yeah. mentioned, we won a state championship for the first time ever in our history, my senior year. And I was one of the captains. And so I learned how you can just outwork people regardless of what they say about the statistics. Yeah. And so then I went to college, same thing. Everybody was like, man, just go D3, man. Why are you going to go play D2? I started out fourth or fifth on the depth chart, outworked everybody again, found myself a starter again. And I'm like, man, in business, I learned the same thing applies. If you just freaking outwork people, good things happen. At this yeah. point, I started to realize if you just outwork everybody, everybody, you can control that. Good things are going to happen. And so no fear came in Pittsburgh for me starting out, even though I didn't know shit, for two reasons. One is I knew I was going to outwork everybody. I was working too hard to not win. And then the second thing was I had great mentors in Jim and Marcus that was still, you know, one phone call away. Anything that I would ask them provided a little sense of peace to me. Guys that already had experience in the business, knowing if they had my back, knowing that we had a good, a good relationship because I didn't do them dirty, you know, on the way out. I paid yeah. them, I paid them respect on the way out and 
didn't do anything uh, that I wouldn't done, want done to me on the way out. And so that kept our relationship strong. So I think this can apply to all industries. And I think, you know, a lot of younger individuals, people in general, but younger individuals will look at the head coach position, the owner position, and perceive that it immediately comes with more money or just overall that it comes with more money. And for the most part, maybe on a, on a growth side of things, but do you, for, for them listening right now, your advice being in ownership and seeing people get rich, maybe in ownership or under ownership. If you've got the opportunity in the industry or whatever business you're in to scale and make millions or make what you want to make, mm-hmm. what's your advice for those people? Do you think, you know, they're dabbling on it? Maybe I should go be an owner or maybe they should get rich within that already yep. built up business. How do you? That's a really good, really good question, man. So here's, here's what I'll say. And it's not a direct answer. I'm just going to give people enough information to make their own you know, decision for themselves because it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. And so, you know, I was mentioning today in Chicago how Michael Jordan became a billionaire not because he was the owner of the team but because he was the best player in the game and that brought him billions and a billion and so much money over time that then he bought a team because he had already built up so much success. There's college football coaches right now that make more money than NFL head coaches right now, but they're in college. And so sometimes meaning that you own it doesn't mean that you're going to make more money. So it depends on what is like, what are you trying to do? What is your, what is your goals? And so, you know, most of the people that I know that have become millionaires in American income aren't only the owners, you know, I know some owners, you know, that, that are millionaires, but I, I have watched, literally I've watched more millionaires become that were not the owners, you know, yeah. which is a, which is a, a proven, uh, system, you know, that you want to be a part of, you know, you know, you know, I'm for my first five years, you know, as an owner, my people made some of my top people made more money, you know, than me, you yes. know, net, net. And still to this day, I think a lot of our top dogs make more money than 90 percent, you know, of the of the owners out there. And so I I don't think that, you know, if you look up, you know, the millionaires in in the insurance industry or millionaires in general, not all of them did it on their own. They they did it becoming a part of something else. And so I think we we're in an entrepreneurial type business where you are an owner regardless. You know, it's about do I want to. Do I want to be an owner on a, a, a college scale? Do I want to do I want to coach Alabama and make seven million a year as Nick Saban? You know, at Alabama, do I want to coach Ohio State or would I rather coach the Jets just because it's in the NFL? And and so sometimes the answer is I I just something in my mind always told me I wanted to coach the Jets or I wanted to be in the NFL. And there's a lot of there's upside you know, in that, but I I don't think that it needs to be that way if people think that, because you don't automatically, like as a head coach in the NFL, you automatically come in and you sign a contract and you're making millions. And as a head coach in this NFL, when you sign that contract, you come in and you make less money than you made the last three years prior, probably for the next three years as as an owner, because you got to invest into the business and there's more, you know, there's more things that you got to take care of and stuff like that. And so I, I, I think that, it's different strokes for different folks. And, you know, me personally, I don't think there's a, a right or, or wrong answer. But yeah. I know when I coach young people, 
to do and I would coach young people to do in any business, no matter what you're doing right now, listening to anything, find the best coach and the best leader that you could find and get around those people for a while and and then make any decision you want to make. But I just follow whoever's the best leader, be around the best leader that you could be around, be around the best coach that you could possibly be around. And then from there, I would make some moves that you want to make moves. And, and probably for them to examine the definition of best too, because there's a lot of rich guys out there that maybe yep. aren't the best with their, yep. their wives yep. or with their kids. So, so important for you to bring up, man. You know, when I say, you know, the best, you got to look at what they have in their life and where they're at in their life. And do you want everything in their life or do you just want that part of their life? So if they got a bunch of money and they got a jet, but they've been divorced four times. You know, I ain't hating on nobody. Understand my grandfather was married five times and my grandfather was the closest thing that I've ever had to a dad. And I love him to this day. Rest in peace. You know what I'm saying? So I ain't hating on nobody. I'm just saying, if you don't want that, you know, then maybe you need to look at other avenues. And so I would try to find a coach and a mentor that has and embodies as much as you can possibly have in all aspects of life, yes. you know, physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally, financially, you know, finding somebody that you could admire and look up to in those avenues or be prepared to be mature enough to compartmentalize. You know, most people aren't strong enough to say, all right, I'm going to follow this leader, but he's wilding out in these areas, but he's good in these areas. I'm not yeah. going to wild out with him over in these areas. I'm just going to take the good, you know, from Chill these areas. Me. Usually you end up, if you're around your coach and you really spend in the time you need to spend with your coach, you need to be doing everything they're doing. Yes. And if everything they're doing ain't good, you know, chances are you're going to end up get caught, getting caught in that trap. And yes. so find the person, you know, over the production a little bit. Yes. So as, as we start to wrap up here, let's pull back Shazier. So what about, I want to go into your first 30 of, of the NFL, but I also want to, before we jump into that, what was the highlight of your career uh, in college? Can, is there one moment, one play, or just something that stood out was like, man, I'll cherish that memory forever? Uh, so I have one memory, uh, and the thing that's so crazy about this memory, it's more like, it's a memory slash like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain it. So, like, it's a memory, but it's also, like, told to me. So it's kind of – so, like, this this is why I say that. Because with football, you have so many plays that you play. Sometimes you don't remember every play. Yeah. But you can watch it. Yes. You know, so, like, one of the biggest memories I have in playing in college, we played Wisconsin one year. And when we played Wisconsin um, – it at was, Wisconsin or at the shoe? At Wisconsin. Okay. We played Wisconsin at Wisconsin. It was a night game. Um, it was a real close game. And it, it's like a series of plays what happened. So, basically, me and Melvin Gordon, he, he's a running back. He's an NFL running back. He went first round as well. Uh, we played – we was playing each other, and there's another running back in the game called Monty Ball. Monty Ball, he was going – if he scored a touchdown in that game, he was going to break the all-time record for most touchdowns by any person in college football history. Like, if he scored in that game. Like, on us, right? So, basically, uh, that whole game, I was just saying, like, I, I don't know what my teammates were thinking, but I was like, this motherfucker's not scoring on me. Like, he's not, like, I'm sorry. Like You're not going to be on the highlight tape. Like, this is the, <laughs> this yeah. is the this one is to put us over the edge. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He, he, uh, he broke the record versus Ohio State. No, like I, it was, it was. I, I went out of my way to make sure that didn't happen. So, but it's, but during this time, 
Monty Ball got drafted like fourth round or something like that. But it's a, his backup was named Melvin Gordon. And Melvin Gordon ended up going in the first round years later. It was a play that gave Melvin Gordon the ball, and me and him ran into each other. We hit each other so hard. I I like I folded up and like went into fetal position because basically like I I had a concussion. Like I hit him so hard. Like you know if somebody Knocked gets yourself out. Yeah, if somebody gets knocked out like 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 how uh, Usman would. Like he got knocked out. And he was you out. know he was out. You know what I'm saying? But like, I, I wasn't like stretched out. But I I like cr- curled up. Yeah. Right. So after that play, so this is before like they changed all the rules now. After that play, like they take me off the field. And then, like, Wisconsin's driving on us, right? This same series. Wisconsin's driving on us. They ask me, like, how you feeling? Everything all right? da 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 I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, like, I had a little headache at the time, but I'm straight now. So, boom. Like, they're about to score, and I just go to Coach Meyer. I'm like, yo, give me my helmet. I'm about to go in. And he's like, you sure? You good? I'm like, yeah. Give me my helmet. Boom. So, I go back in the game. That will never happen now. Like, now you can never do that. Like, if somebody has any signs of, like, a concussion, they got knocked out, anything, you're, you're out of the game for the, for the rest of the game. Yeah. And you might not play next week. You know, so um, I come back into the game, and, and then, like, they, they drive all the way down the field, and then they get to, the, get to about the one or two-yard line, and Monty Ball gets the ball. And it's fourth and one on the two-yard line. So they just needed to get the a first, first down. A first down. Yep. And then they still have four more. Then they still have four more plays until the uh, touchdown. So Moneyball gets the ball, and then he tries to jump over the pile into the end zone. Like so, he tries okay. to jump over everybody into the end zone. I just had a feeling that he was going to do that. Like I just yeah. had a like I was just like. I feel like this dude's gonna try to jump over the pile. So I was like, before the play, I was like, hey, he was gonna jump over the pile. Like, everybody be ready. Yeah. So he he jumped up, and I when he jumped up, I jumped up and punched the ball out. Like he tried to dot, like reach it and I punched the ball out. Mm. And then and we recovered it and win the game. Wow. Yeah. And he didn't score. No. Sick. For the whole game. The whole game. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he scored the next week and they said on ESPN, Monty Ball broke the touchdown record. Now did he play in the league? Yeah, he played in the league. He played for the Denver Broncos and Melvin Gordon actually would play for the Denver Broncos too, but, but, okay. but he played with the Denver Broncos and he played for somebody else. He kind of fell out pretty fast. Now, and then what what draft pick were you? Uh, the first round, number fifteenth pick to Pittsburgh. What was that feeling like? Man, that, that feeling is crazy because like if if like if any kid played a sport and they had any inclination, like I want to go pro, at one point they said. And the first round draft pick, Ryan Shazier gets drafted by their favorite team. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, every kid, Simon probably did that when he was a little kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. it could be baseball, basketball, tennis, they don't have a draft and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? But yep. like, soccer, you know what I'm saying? So when, like, I actually, they, I was at the combine, and it was like, hey, Ryan, we, we projecting you to go in the first two rounds. So, if you with you with uh with our projections and everything, you're probably gonna go in the first two rounds. Uh we just gotta know if you don't get drafted in the first round, would you be cool staying in New York for the second round? And I was like, Yeah, like I'm cool with that. Like, you know, some people get upset because their their ego says basically like, I should have got drafted in the first round. Now I look like a, a dumbass sitting here for two days. 
first of all, if you get drafted first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you get drafted. Seventh round, <laughs> I mean, you get you're, you're good. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Unfortunately, like if I got drafted sixth round, I I'd have been mad. You know what I'm saying. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. I would have been mad because I'd been like, damn, I'm I'm really good. Like I don't. But in day like, it's still your ego. Basically, like yes. man, like. So they, that's why they ask you, like, hey, would you stay? Because some guys are like, I'm not getting drafted, I'm leaving. Yeah. So they, I was like, yeah. So when they asked me that, I'm like, damn. Like, now all the people, basically the, the decision makers for all, most of the teams think I'm going to get drafted pretty early. Yeah. So I was like, oh, all right, that feels pretty good. And then I get to New York, and I start, they start, like, taking us places. I'm with Clowney. I'm with Odell. I'm with Aaron Donald. I'm with like all all these guys, and I'm like, damn, like, like these, like, like I'm really one of the like the top guys in it in, in college, like, yeah, like my whole life, I've been saying I want to get drafted in the first round, like my yeah. whole life, and it's like, this is about to happen. So yeah. it was like you like you can't you can't almost like people imagine it, but when you actually get there, it's like yo, like, this is unreal, yeah, because. It's, it's all a dream. The only, like most people, the only, their only opportunity of going in the first round is on NBA 2K or or Madden. Yeah. Like you don't get to really live that, you know. So when that when that happened to me and my family, I was just like, man, this is life changing. This is crazy, and I'm actually getting to do something that I love to do. Most people don't actually get to do something that they truly love to do. Now, is the drafts? Is it kind of like? Is it completely oblivious? Like you guys don't know where, or do the NFL teams kind of recruit you guys? So, is sometimes it's completely oblivious. Sometimes you know where you're going. So, like Clowney knew he was going number one. If you know you're going number one overall, you know where you're going. You yeah. know where you're going. Mm-hmm. You know okay. what I'm saying? Or like, let me say this: if you if you're if, if you're like a top five pick, you're like, all right, I'm going to these top five teams. It's just depending on like if the number one team wants to take me or. They don't. If the number one team don't want to take me, I'm cool going to number two or number three. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you're going in the first round, it's pretty much because essentially how the how these picks work is like the worst team is getting able to be able to pick first, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. It's almost like if you go into the worst team, how do you even have a chance of like success? Yeah, like of success. It's like, well, I know I'm going to the worst team, or at least it ain't gonna happen quick. Like you might be the first round draft pick, but. You literally got if you I'm the first pick, it's probably the worst so, team but, from last year that picked me. But the thing is, is like, so sometimes it happens that you could be on a really good team and they just had a bad year or somebody got hurt. Yeah. So now they have the the number one pick, like they have a top five pick. Yeah. Like that happens to the 49ers sometimes. Like the 49ers, sometimes like they have a really good team, two or three pieces get hurt. Now they're like, oh, we only won three games. Or that happened to the Cowboys too. We only won three games. They yeah. get Michael Parsons. You know what I'm saying? Now they go to the playoffs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, sometimes that happens or sometimes just, like, they're just a really bad team. So the Bengals, they were a really bad team. But then Joe Burrow came, and Joe Burrow immediately changed this, changed the whole script. Yeah. You know, so, like, some players can do that. But I got drafted in the middle of the pack. So, like, in the middle of the pack, so I, I got drafted to the Steelers. They was like, we need one piece to help us go to the playoffs. I felt like I was that piece. We went to the playoffs yes. the next year. You know what I'm saying? So, like, uh, every team's a little bit different. Yeah. You know, but I didn't think I was going to the Steelers because when I got drafted and you go – so you go on pre-team visits. So, like, I went on 17, like, pre-trip visits. It's 32 17? Teams. Yeah, 17. Jeez. So, like, it, so basically that lets you know, like, 
damn near half the league is interested in me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? While some people don't have as many. When I went to the Steelers, the, the linebacker coach at the time was like, hey, Ryan, you're a wonderful player. I'm not going to lie. I love your game, but I don't know why you're here. He's like, we already have two linebackers. Yeah. That's what he told me. Yeah. He's like, you most likely probably won't get drafted here. That's what the linebacker coach told me. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't like he's doing reverse psychology or anything like that. He was just like, he just being straight up. He was being straight up. So I was like, all right, cool. So when when I went to the draft, you know, uh, it's all about ALP, right? Yeah. You got to look good. You make ALP. Yeah. You know? what'd, so I, what'd you wear? So I, I had a green suit on with some shoes, but I tried to look good, but my shoes was too tight. So at the draft, I took my shoes off and I was like walking around with just socks on at the draft, but like, people ain't even looking at like, like camera on your shoe on your feet you yeah. know what I'm saying so I was walking around I was like I'm probably not gonna get drafted until like I'm a really good player but I was just like just based off of what the teams need I was like I'm probably not gonna get drafted until like 15 yeah you know so I was like I know I'm not going one if I just if Ryan Shazier goes number one like I'm not gonna be mad you know what I'm yeah. saying but like I was like I was, I was being real with myself I'm probably, I'm like, I'll probably be like 15 or later yeah you know so, so I had took my shoes off and then around like the 13th pick I was like, all right, I'm about to start getting drafted soon. I started tying my shoes. And then my agent comes up to me. He was like, hey, Ryan, you about to go to the Dallas Cowboys. That's my favorite team. Yeah. There, there, there was the 16th pick. Yeah. It was on the 14th pick. He was like, Ryan, you about to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Like, they called my agent. We're drafting you, Jerry Jones. I, I, I went to Dallas as one of my teams. Yeah. Like, Jerry loved you. Like, when I went, it, we had a good relationship when we, we met. And uh, he was like, "They love you. You're, you're getting drafted with the Dallas Cowboys pick. It's locked. Like yeah. you're not you're not going no further than that. Sixteen, no further yeah. than sixteen. Like it was fourteen at sixteen. They was drafted. So like, that's when you kind of know. All right, I'm about to get drafted by this team. Literally, my phone rings. So like, you're my agent. You're telling me, Ryan, you about to get drafted. My phone ringing on the desk. Yeah, at, it's a, a Pittsburgh number. They call me. Hey, Ryan is uh. Uh, Art is Art Rooney. Are you ready? To, uh, do you want to be a stiller? What if you say no? You can say no, and they'll say, "All right, no." Or it, they'll it, be like, "It's rarely, it's rare, like sometimes people are still they're still drafty though. Sometimes, like because the thing is, they put their card in. Okay. So like, it, but the like, you know how big your ego has to be to say no. Oh, I don't know. I would have to be. I would imagine you. I'm saying like, you like you have to like like. Oh, it's only a certain amount of people. I, I think it's only like two dudes to ever say no. Uh, Eli Manning probably was probably all number one picks. Yeah, where they can e- control their destiny. Eli Manning was number one, like one of them. So it's like three people. Eli Manning was one of them. Deion Sanders was one of them. Deion and uh, John Elway was one of them. Okay. So Deion told, I forgot. Who, he told the Lions, "If you draft me, I'm gonna ask for so much money. You're gonna have to." Uh, he said, "He said if you draft me, I'm gonna ask for so much money. You're gonna basically like have to uh, like give me the whole team." <laughs> and then all he said, oh, I'm going to the, uh, the MLB draft. So you're going to draft me, and I'm going to just go, go play baseball. That's yeah. what Dion said. Eli Manning said, hey, I don't want to play here. And then they end up trading him for Phillip Rivers. Yeah. And then John Elway didn't want to go to the team he went to, and he ended up going to the Denver Broncos. But you have to be yes. like number one pick to do that. So I got I to gotta wrap up, and we could, uh, we could take this thing off forever. I want to ask just two or three speed questions. First, how quickly did you get – paid in your like from getting drafted did you see like money immediately like yeah pretty much like same day <laughs> no, no no it's not you same a day. big old bonus yeah you get yeah. A, you get a big bonus so basically you get a signing bonus so anybody that goes with a team you get a signing bonus so basically you assign your check and then in 
in business terms, it's not like uh, AIL, which is awesome. Uh, but in most businesses, you get paid in like 15 to 30 business days. Yeah. So I signed my check. I, mean, I signed off on my, on my deal, and then in 15 business days, in my bank account, I had like $5 million. That's so nuts. <laughs> yeah. That's so nuts. Yeah, what five million dollars? Then you know they take taxes, so it was like three. Yeah, but still. Yeah, my dog. That's, <laughs> hey, any way you want to cut it. Okay, so just two two quick questions for both you guys. Uh, let's go with favorite movie. Oh man, that's a tough one. I already um, know his, but I gotta let the audience know. Oh man, that's a tough one. So I, I have like multiple, but one of my favorite movies is uh, is Focus. Focus? About the magic? With, yeah, with Will Smith. Yeah. And the reason I like it is because so many people, their focus is on so much stuff that doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah, that's you know fire. What I'm saying? Yeah, that's so fire. So, like, basically, like, if you focus on the right stuff, you can get what you want in life. Yep. So That's fire. And then, are you still the Godfather? My movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for me because I don't have a ton of... You ain't a big movie. I don't watch movie. a bunch you of TV and yeah. movies <laughs> and stuff like that. Me and Joey can't talk to go him. Godfather. <laughs> okay. Godfather. And then, favorite restaurant for you guys? Mm. I talked to somebody about this today. So my favorite restaurant, like in the whole country, in the whole country. Oh, Carbones. Carbones, out of is that Miami? Uh, so the original Carbones is in New York. Look at you! New Don't York. be stealing my stuff, dog. You Bro. been to Carbones in New York? Yes. That's your jam. That's my. Have spot. we talked about that before? Uh, I don't know. But look at this bonding. That's me and look, look at this bonding right yeah. here. You guys, are, he, yeah, the one, he's gonna text yeah. Yeah. Kate, Nat or Kate, uh, Katie, and be like, "Yo, we gotta set something up for Shay's here. Yeah. We gotta do a Carbone." Yeah, so my first cool. time, but my first time trying it, I had it in in uh, the Aria. They have a Carbones in the Aria in Vegas. Then I'm eating it. I'm like, damn, this tastes good. There might be a Carbones here. Yeah, they might. They might. I have was one. looking and I was like, they got one in Miami. Have you been yeah. to the one in New York City? Yes, I've been to the one in New York. The original. Yeah. Fire. That's, that's my favorite one. Fire. Yeah, that was. That's, that's, that's my, my favorite. favorite. That's my favorite right restaurant there. of all time. Carbones. I'm gonna have to put that down. So Carbones for both you guys. Right. Mm. For you as well, Simon. That's mine by far. Not even. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. That's up there. That's up there. Like, that's cream of the crop. We're like top. you talking about food, like top three for me for sure. When you talk about food, right, like it's, it's it, there's gonna it's gonna be very hard for you to find a spot that's going to top Carbones. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had Carbones, ever. La- so this is go the last thing we gotta get off. If you could, if you could leave your kids one thing, what would you leave them? We'll start with you, and then we'll go to you. You can leave your kids one thing. What would you leave them? I need this. 100 years from now if I decide See, to have a cat, kid so like <laughs> or a cat. like something realistic or something that like you wish you can give them whatever you can give them all the money in the world you could give them a lesson a book so I wish a kick if, and if, ass if I could if, if I if one thing I wish I could left if I could leave my kids it would be the adversity that I had to go through the adversity yeah okay I because, respect that a lot because it's just like just I think the same thing but I don't want to beat them Cause that's what yeah. I went. I was like, my dad just beats the shit up. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I, I used to get beatings too. Yeah. But like my dad, all my dad beatings were like, he, it, like we understood why we got beat. He didn't okay. beat us to beat us. Right, but yeah. like I would say the adversity, and the reason I would say the adversity is because just like me and Simon talked about this before, the way our kids are going to grow up, they're going to be blessed, regardless. Yes. So it's like we have to make adversity for them. Yeah. You know, while we have to have our own adversity coming up. And it's a blessing to give our kids something that we never had. Yes. But it's also a curse because now 
they had something that we never had to go, we never had to deal with. Yes. Not having as much adversity. Yes. Like, well, it's different adversity, but not having the yes. adversity that we had to deal Trying with. Trying to emulate it, create. Yeah. So, like, basically, like, giving my kids the pain I had to go through. Yeah. Like a seven on seven. You got to just simulate the game. Yeah. You're about to go seven on seven. Let's go. Yeah. Strap up. What are you leaving your kids? Man, values, um, principles. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I got to go second, so I was sitting here thinking about it, you know, a little bit. And I'm thinking, man, the the values, you know, I don't know, is it, was it was it uh, Pitbull, Christian Armando, they, that, that said, uh, ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money twice. And so I think, you know, I would want to give them some advice on certain things, you know, one being... Um, the foundation that I'm trying to instill in them with having a relationship with the Lord. You know, to me, I can trace my life back to before I had a relationship with the Lord and after I had a relationship with the Lord. And I came from a background where I really, you know, I don't, I didn't tell many people, but I didn't believe in God, you know, for really most of my childhood. I didn't really believe in God till I was an adult and I did it begrudgingly, you know? And so I, I was able to see, the differences in my life and what happened and what transpired since I developed a relationship with the Lord. And I can't think of any one thing that happened to me that was any more important in my life. I don't think I would be married right now. I don't think I would be the father that I am right now. I don't think I would have the business or would have been able to handle the success so young, you know, if it wasn't for my relationship with the Lord, nor the adversities, you know, that I've been able to lean on the Lord through uh, when I had nobody else, you know, when you make your way to the top and you find you're, you're, you're at the top and there's really nobody to look to when you go through adversities because you become the person that everybody goes to and the only place you got to look is up, uh, it does something special, you know, to you in those dark moments. And, and so I would want my kids to have a relationship with the Lord um, that, that I have. And uh, next, I would, I would want them to have a work ethic. I would want to teach them how to outwork people. Uh, I feel like if you outwork people in whatever it is that you're doing, good things are going to happen. You're going to blow by 99% of people because people don't work hard long enough to get what they want. People get disinterested and are interested in the outcome and not interested in the process enough. And I think you could just outwork people to getting most of the things that you want in life. Um, I, wanna, I would want to teach them about loyalty, you know, how to be loyal. Uh, to people. I think loyalty is rare. And then lastly, um, I would want to teach them about discipline, like having discipline to do things that you don't feel like doing, you know, which kind of goes along with work ethic. But I think if you, if you're willing to, you know, if you got a relationship with the Lord, if you outwork people, if you're loyal, you know, to people and you're not shady and you switch up on people, you know, I mean, I'm a Browns fan, dog. You know what I mean? Like one of my best friends in the world is, is a Steeler and that's going to be the only jersey that I'll ever hang up, you know, from the Steelers, I think, you know, in, in my house is because, of, is because of Ryan. But I'm a, I'm a loyal dog and we've been getting the brakes beat off us, you know, for a, long, for a long time. And that's just a symbol of like how I am as a person. Like that's who I'm rolling with, win, lose, or draw. And so loyalty, but really the discipline, you know, is, is, is something that's critical. You know, I think most people can't apply discipline to their life. I want to eat that, having the power to not eat that. I want to touch that, having the power to not touch that. 
I don't feel like doing that, having the power to get yourself to do that. You know, we were talking football. Nick Saban defines discipline as, you know, there's something that I want to do that I know that I shouldn't do. Can I get myself to not do it? And there's something that I don't want to do that I need to do. Can I get myself to do it? And I would want to give my kids the, 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 the wherewithal and the learning about life to be able to apply discipline to themselves in certain areas of life because typically the road that you need to travel to get to where you want to go is going to be paved with discipline of doing some things that you don't feel like doing. And, and lastly, as, you know, as we close out, man, I, I would want my kids, I would want my, my children. You know, I used to tell Mike Bass, who, you know, the best compliment that I could pay him as a person, man, was, was that I hope my daughter one day grows up and meets a guy like him because he's such a good dude. You know yeah. what I mean? And when I look at my children, you know, I would say I hope, you know, my children, my son, you know, could could grow up and, and have similar traits that you have. You know, yeah. Tristan, I'm so I'm so proud of you and the person that you've become and, and what you've been able to do over the last five years. It's, you know, they tell, you know, there's a quote out there that says, you know, if you really want to test a, a, a man, give him success. And that's when you really see what somebody's about, you know, what they're, what they're made of. And it seems like the more success that you have, the more humility that you're able to walk with. And you got that balance of that 5149. You got enough confidence to assert yourself in areas to where you're not a coward, but you have enough humility to give respect and show respect to people and not make anybody feel like you feel like you're better than them. And you're so grateful, you know, for everything, man. You're grateful for people that have done things for you. You show humility, you show care for your people, you show gratitude for people that have paved the way for you in the business. And I think you're a, a, a great person for young people to want to look up to, you know, and, and to whom much is given, much is required, man. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Ron's not perfect. But being that you're not perfect, man, I think that, that people could do a whole lot worse than learning uh, from you, you know, as if people got a chance to follow anybody and they got a chance to follow you as a, as a young person, you know, I would bet on that stock all day. I would bet on, I would bet on you all day because of your work ethic, your commitment, your discipline, your sacrifice, your loyalty, your humility, and the way that you walk. And it seems like you're just building momentum with the success that you have, but you're building momentum with the, with the humility and the maturity at the same time. And, and most of the time, the more success people have, the less humility that they have. Yeah. And it seems like the more success that you have, the more gratitude and the more humility that you, that you learn to walk with. I think you're more humble now than you were in the first year that you came into the business and you've made more money now than you made in the first, you know, first year in the business. Yes, sir. And so kudos to you, man. Congratulations, you know, to everything. And this is just a, a start and it's uh it's an honor. You know, I'm grateful to have people like you, uh, to coach and to be on this, you know, on yeah. this journey with man. And, and I uh, got nothing but love for you. And the same thing, love you. same thing for, uh, for Ryan, man, a lot of people in Ryan's shoes would be crying and, and, and complaining and poor me and looking back and have every single reason to be justified, you know, doing that, you know, Ryan talked about, Imagine as a kid, you know, your name getting called, you get your name called first round of draft, and then you go be the best player at your position. You're an all pro at the same time in your first four years, man, you got nothing, nothing but upside. And then all of a sudden that's gone, you know, in a minute and you got to restart and literally teach yourself how to walk again.
and teach yourself how to own a business and teach yourself how to do things that you never even thought about that you was going to ever need to do after making millions of dollars and, you know, and all of that stuff and to have the character and the wherewithal to keep it all together, be positive, and then go out of your way to coach and encourage other people. Every Thursday, this cat got a call with other people struggling with spinal cord injuries, goes out, turns a negative into a positive, serving people with, with the, with the uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Shazier spinal cord fund that he does and, and walking the way that he's walked, working hard, building up multiple businesses right now, six-figure businesses right now, making you know tons of money, not by yep. someone's standards that's getting $5 million ACH the first day they go to the, to the NFL, but by most people's standards. If you look at what you've been able to accomplish in a short few years of business, man, like 91 percentile you know, of people, and, and you still – a rookie in the business game, first couple years in the game. And I think it's going to be the same outcome that you had on the football field. You just did it since you were five. I think you're going to have the exact same outcome in business as an entrepreneur from what I see so far in you. It's just going to take a few years, but I think I can see you doing things equal or above and beyond uh, what you would have been doing on the football field with your brain, with your mind, and with your heart, and, and with your spirit right now. So just an honor to, to, to be on here with y'all young cats, with y'all young studs, Ryan and Tristan, and, uh, and I love you guys, and, and thanks for having me on the podcast, Tristan. Love you, Coach. Thank Tristan. you. You guys can find Simon Arias, Ryan Chazier, on, Pitts, uh, on uh, Instagram in Pittsburgh as well. So Simon Arias, it's, that's his handle, and then Chazier, that's his handle. Ryan's got a book, Walking Miracle. Mm-hmm. So I read that. It's a great book. Simon's got his podcast and many books inside the it. The Grindcast. The Grindcast. So make sure you guys check that out. Subscribe. If you guys are interested in a career opportunity as well, you guys can reach out to these guys. They're out in Pittsburgh. You check out the office in Wexford. You just look for the office with all the Lamborghinis and McLarens and everything. So appreciate you guys. This was awesome. I think we got well over time in. So we're good to go. Appreciate you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.